0: All right, <laughs> well, we'll we'll talk about that, because today in our unexpected Jesus series, we're talking about disruption and uh, and moving through disruption. Uh, but before we do that, a couple of things before we jump into the talk. One is hello. Uh, we're so glad that you're here, whichever campus you're at. Uh, we're really glad that you chose to be at Chase Oaks today. And uh, you might be online or even podcasting later. But we're really happy that you're part of it. Um, Another thing to, to do before we jump into the talk is, is to talk about the Journeys of Paul trip that you saw on the information, um, on the, in the video. Um, that's a trip that uh, Christine and I will be hosting next fall. Uh, it's a, it's a big trip, which is why we're giving so much time, you know, it's next fall to do it. But I hope you'll join us. It's one of those once-in-a-lifetime kind of experiences. And as we're going to the big New Testament sites of the book of Acts and the letters of the New Testament, it just helps... The Bible come alive. It gives context for it, and it's going to be a really meaningful time. So hope you can join us. You can go online. There's information. Also, we'll have an informational meeting next week at our Legacy Campus after the 1115 service in the Legacy Room. And uh, anyway, hope you can join us for that. And then next week, we do start the series Shadow Side, which is about navigating the highs and lows, the ups and downs of life. So uh, because often the things that we think we want the least, the down times in life, if we navigate those well, actually bring, end up what we want the most. And often the things that we feel like we want the most, the ups in life, if we don't navigate them well, can actually keep us from what we really want the most and and keep us becoming the kind of people we want to be. So we want to navigate both well, and that's what the series will be about. So look forward to that. Um, Today, we do complete our Unexpected Jesus series by looking at Disruptive Jesus, uh, which is why we started with this poor guy on the video. And I I can relate to this guy because as a communicator, um, you have to learn how to push through distraction and disruption sometimes, often. And that's happened a lot over the years as a speaker. Now, here's just a few that happened. Uh, One of those was... A sermon that I was doing and both of these people turned out to be fine. They turned out to be OK. I just had a scare. But in that one message, about 10 minutes apart from each other, paramedic teams, ambulances, paramedic teams came in to take somebody out. One over here and then they took them out. And then about 10, 15 minutes later, somebody over here and they took them out. That was a two ambulance sermon. And, you know, it's a good sermon when it's a two ambulance sermon. It's like it's powerful. It's powerful powerfully bad, maybe, but at least it's powerful. And, uh, and again, they were fine, but just like, okay, how do you even move forward with that? Um, another time, uh, somebody just right down here on the second row, their phone rang, the ringer was on and you know, that happens always a bummer, but they decided to go ahead and answer it. And, and they were talking as loud as I am now. I could hear it just, you know, on the, on the stage. And he's like, yeah, Hey, how you doing? Yeah, good. And he's like, Oh yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm actually at church right now, so I can't talk long they were like, you know, you're right. and um, like, why not? And I can't talk at all, right? And and but he just talks for a couple of minutes, and all I could do is just stop and let it play out. And then when he hung up, we're like, okay, let's go. Uh, another time, um, a guy was sitting on the very front row, and as I was speaking, he's about ten minutes into the message. He went like this. And I'm thinking, like, be quiet. I'm thinking, why am I supposed to be quiet, you know? And and I thought, well, maybe I'm talking too loud. The sound is too loud. So I started, you know, just trying to talk a little quieter. And then about 10 minutes later, he did it again. He's like, and I'm thinking, really? So I talk even quieter. Toward the end of the message, he does it again. And by this point, I'm like whispering. I'm like, okay, everybody. here's what. And uh, and so right after the sermon, I go down to him and I said, man, what was going on with the sound? Was it just really that loud? He's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, well, you kept going like this. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. So when I'm really thinking about something, I do that. (laughs) Like, oh, great, great. But as a speaker, you got to learn how to live through disruption and distraction. And, of course, that's true in life, too. We have to move through distraction and disruption. And actually, uh, today, what we're talking about is is making an unusual choice. And that is to embrace disruption. Uh, Because... When you and I choose to follow Jesus, and some of you are new in that or you're considering Jesus, you need to know that Jesus is disruptive. He's really not into the status quo. He will shake things up because he wants something way better for us. And he actually actually wants to use us, too, to be disruptive. And so he'll shake things up. And for those of us who are Jesus followers, we always have to ask the question, because he gives us a lot of leeway in this. How open are we to his disruption in our life? And how open are we to being disruptive ourselves in this world? And that's what we're talking about today. And there's actually a lot at stake with that in terms of the the life we end up with is how open to disruption are we? Are we embracing disruption? And we're going to see that played out today in a in a very disruptive story in the life of Jesus. So there's four books in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that give all the Jesus stories. We're going to be in the book of Mark today. And this is a funky story. And it starts very, very simply. It just starts in Mark 5, 1. It says, they, Jesus and the disciples, went across the lake to the region of the Gerizim. So they were on a boat, and they go and they land at this region of the Gerizim. Now, you look at that verse and think, well, that doesn't mean anything. Like, this is not one you're going to memorize as your life verse or something, right? And you think, okay, big deal. But 2,000 years ago, this would have been a big deal. This would have been a big statement. And for the disciples in that boat, it would have been really disruptive because this is not where you go if you're a good person. The, the other side of the lake, the region of the Gerasenes, was a no-go place. It was like, good people don't go there. And the disciples, as good Jewish people growing up, um, from little kids, I mean, they would have been taught, you don't go places like that. It was a place known to be a, a place of spiritual darkness, a place of a lot of immorality, uh, there were these 10 Greek cities over there called the Decapolis. They were very modern cities, but also very immoral. And so as, you know, godly kids growing up, they would have been taught, don't, you know, you don't go over there. That's the wrong side of town. That's the wrong side of the lake. Uh, you don't go over there. Also, they didn't like going over there, didn't think good people should go there because they raised pigs over there. Which means, so what? They raised pigs over there. I mean, that kind of stinky, you know, it's kind of stinky, but Who cares? Uh, What's wrong with pigs? I like pigs. I like bacon. I like, you know, whatever. But uh, in their world, again, growing up, God's people in the Old Testament, the Israelites leading up to Jesus as the savior of the world. um, They were taught that pigs were unclean in the Old Testament law. The pigs were unclean. And so uh, you didn't like you didn't see a good Jewish person of the time in red, hot and blue getting a pulled pork sandwich and all that. Um, and therefore this was a place where all that was happening because these were pigs that were feeding all the Roman troops. that were there in Israel. You couldn't raise those pigs in Israel. It was too controversial. So they did it over here in the region of the Gerizines, the wrong side of the lake. This is where good people do not go. But as we've seen already a lot in this series, unexpected Jesus, Jesus had a habit of going where good people do not go. It's like wherever good people do not go, places of spiritual darkness or indifference or whatever, he made a he he made a beeline there. He had a pattern of moving toward spiritual darkness with light, toward spiritual indifference with relationship, toward injustice with strength, toward need with compassion, toward hopelessness with hope. He, as we say it around here, we glow in the dark. He wasn't afraid of the dark. He lit up the dark. And that's the way he calls us to live, too. Not to play defense, not to be afraid in our world, but to play offense with the light and love of Jesus. And so he goes to the region of the Gerizines, and then we get to our story. Now, it's it's a crazy little story, and I'm going to read it. Uh, I'm not going to have it on the screen, so just listen to it. And it's longer than I usually read, so focus. All right, let's do it. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit, And when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Now, when you hear this dialogue, this is really the demons that talking. He's a demon possessed guy. These are the demons talking. He shouted at the top of his voice. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God In God's name? Don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Now I told you it's a funky story, right? And it is. And yet there's a lot there. So I want us to unpack it and see where you and I are in this story. So there's three main characters in the story. The demoniac who is healed, who's delivered. All three characters or groups get disrupted by Jesus. The demoniac in a really good way, he's delivered from these demons. The demons who are defeated and the townspeople who are frightened. So let's go back through each one of them. And the first one is the demoniac. Now, I don't know growing up if you had a nickname or not. If you were called by something other than your name, you had a nickname. Anybody have a... Just just shout out. If you had a nickname, just shout it out. You guys are good. Uh, that, you, yeah, the, the other services was like one person shouting out. So thanks for playing. Yeah, I, my granddad called me Jeffro. So that was one of my nicknames. Another one I had, kind of a locker room nickname that fortunately didn't stick and it's not appropriate. And I don't know why I'm talking about it. But... <laughs> But if your name is demoniac, that's not good. Um, You know, if people don't even call you by your name anymore, they just call you the demoniac. You know, you're having a bad day. You're having a bad life. And sure enough, this guy was having a bad day and a bad life because he had all these demons. Now, that might be really freaky, right? So what does that? What does that even mean? What is that all about? What are demons and what does it mean to have a demon? So demons are angels gone bad. So God created angels. He created all the stuff, but he also created angels or spirit beings. They're all over the place uh, doing God's work in this on this planet. But we know from the Bible that sometime in the distant past, Satan, one of those angels uh, with a third of the angels uh, became demons because they uh, they resisted God. They rebelled against God. And that rebellion continues to this day. We're in this spiritual warfare. You and I are actually the battlefield. And one day, Jesus will return. He'll put an end to that. He'll throw Satan and demons into the abyss, into the lake of fire, into hell. They're not in hell now. They're roaming around doing bad stuff and opposing the work of God. God's allowing that for a time until he does it anymore. And then demons can be really influential in our lives. And I don't fully understand how demon possession works. Possession is actually not the best way to translate it. It just has a demon is what it says or has demons. But uh, they can be influential. And if you're wondering, well, what does that mean? And that's scary. Do I have a demon? Is that what's wrong with my husband? You know, or I don't know what's going on here. Um, you can go back. I don't have time to do all that. So we've done series about this in the past. And you can go in the archives and watch that series and talk about it. But this guy um, is influenced by demons. And not just like a few demons or one demon. Like this guy, when when Jesus asked the demon to name himself... The demon says, legion, for we are many. A Roman legion was 6,000 foot soldiers and 200 cavalry people. 6,200 soldiers. That's a lot. And these demons were, had so infiltrated his life, they turned his life upside down. He was cast out of the villages, out of the town, living among the tombs, likely eating the food that Greeks would give in, uh, as an offering to the dead. He was cutting himself, he was shouting out, they tried to subdue him, he had the superhuman strength. I mean, he, he was oppressed in the worst way. But underneath that oppression was a person that God deeply loves. Underneath that oppression was a person with dignity made in the image of God. Underneath that oppression was a person with destiny, that God had, had created this person with unique gifting and unique destiny to fulfill, but it was covered over. And what Jesus does in disrupting his life is delivering him from that oppression so that his dignity and his destiny could come forward. And that's what Jesus wants to do with you and me, too. It's a great picture of conversion, how God will remove us. His circumstances were extreme, but he will he wants to free us up from those things that hold us back for the better that God wants for us. That could be hurts, habits, hang-ups, sins, struggles, shame, guilt, materialism, wrong kind of ambition, whatever it is that keeps us from the life that God wants. He wants to invade our lives if if we're open to that, open up our life to his good disruption. That's the demoniac. And he was disrupted in the best sense of the word. Leads me to the next character, or group of characters, and that is the Demons. So the demons know who Jesus is. They know this isn't just a guy from Israel. They know this is God in human flesh. They know this is the son of God. And so when he lands, they go right to him and say, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Now notice who they're acknowledging, the most high God, the God above everything, the sovereign God, because they know that and they've learned that by experience. What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? And then they say, in God's name, don't torture me. And what's that talking about? They're afraid Jesus is going to go like, zap them, z- 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 or do something, you know, um, you know, scratch the thing, scratch his nails on the chalkboard. I mean, what, what are they afraid of? And I think what they're afraid of is that he's going to send them right away to the abyss. And they're saying, don't do that. Instead, send us into these pigs. And, they, and Jesus obliges. And he sends them into these 2,000 pigs. The 2,000 pigs run into the water, run into the Sea of Galilee, and they drown. Now, some of you, you hear that 2,000 pigs drown. And you're like, oh man, that's a lot of bacon wasted. Some of you, I uh, hear that and you're an animal lover and you're like, that's terrible. This is a terrible story. Why does this have to be an, it's, Why did Jesus kill the pigs? Why did he kill 2,000 pigs? Jesus didn't kill 2,000 pigs. The demons killed 2,000 pigs because that's what demons do. The Bible says elsewhere that Satan and the demons are out to steal, kill, and destroy. Everything good in your life and mine, in your relationships and mine, in your career and mine. And he's very stealthy in doing that. They're always out to do that, always out to disrupt. Notice also that they have to ask permission, which is interesting, right? But the reason is they know and they've learned that God is the one who's sovereign. In the spiritual warfare, it's not a fair fight. Angels are not God. Satan is not God. God is the creator. They're created. God is the one who is all-powerful. They're not. God is the one who's completely in control. Sovereign is the theological word. They're not. And so everything they do, they do underneath God's permission. And you see that throughout the scriptures. And God gives them some rope, but can't, they can't do everything they want to do. So they ask permission, go to the pigs, they go to the pigs. But, and they end up getting defeated. It ends up backfiring on them. So the demons are disrupted because they are defeated. And then you get to the townspeople. Now, this is important because it's where you and I show up most in the story. And therefore, uh, where God, I think, has the most to say to us, the townspeople. And just for fun, instead of calling them the townspeople, let's call them the village people. Right. Why not? Um, you remember the village people? Some of you were introducing you to the village people. Um, somebody told me they're coming out with a Christmas album next week. No joke. I, I don't know. But that's the village people. You remember YMCA? It's Chase Oaks. We can do this. We don't take ourselves too seriously. Let's stand up. Let's do a little YMCA, okay? Everybody play. Stand up. All right. So we're gonna do when the music starts here a little bit. YMCA, right? Remember you've been at weddings. All right. Here we go. Let's do it. Here we go. Y-M- oh, beautiful. <laughs> Ah, uh, good job. We're just going to keep it going, because why not? You ready? Y-N-T-A. You guys are so good. Oh, I messed up. Oh, good job. You're selfie. Aren't you glad you're at a church that can do that? Some of you are like, no. I don't... No. Anyway, sorry. Let's talk about the village people, all right? So, that that's a it's an amazing part of the story to me, because... You would think somebody among the village people would be excited because one of their villagers, one of their townspeople, has just been delivered from something really horrible. And they'd be like, wow, this is awesome. We're so glad this Jesus came and did this. This is amazing. But nobody does that. In fact, they're afraid of Jesus and ask him to leave. Why? And I think the main reason they're afraid of Jesus and ask him to leave is just the economics of him staying. Because that was their economy, it was raising pigs, and what just happened? Okay, he lifts one guy from oppression, but at what cost? 2,000 pigs. I mean, if Jesus stays, we're going to be ruined. I mean, I think they were happy for this guy, but at what cost? You know, was this guy's life worth one pig? Yeah, probably. Five pigs? 2,000 pigs? No way. And they asked Jesus to leave. And I think that economic fear, that economic tension is always at work. At what cost? I mean, we all want to see the poor lifted up, the oppressed, freed, all that. But at what cost? To our own way of life, to our own lifestyle, right? That's always the tension we have living in a world where there's so much oppression, so much poverty, so much brokenness. Like, how do you live in a world like this? And that's especially true for us who live in America because we live in Disneyland compared to the rest of the world? I mean, most of the rest of the world, there's tremendous, you know, poverty and hunger and depression. Well, that too, but uh, uh, hunger and slavery, enslavement and violence and injustice and lack of clean water or food or whatever it is. And we know that. And how disrupted are we willing to be who live in Disneyland? Comparatively, you know, what do we do? Even with the poverty in our inner, it's just always that tension. I remember I was talking about this uh, some years ago, actually it was 11 years ago, because it's when we started our uh, one of our big projects and we started our Global Fund and this project in Ethiopia. And I was talking about how do we live in a culture like this in a world of poverty, and what do we do in that tension? And I had just come back from Ethiopia, and. I had seen a lot of people over there at the time that didn't have shoes and their feet were malformed because of that. And there's all kinds of diseases because of that. And so I came back and I I said, hey, we've got, you know, most of us have multiple pairs of shoes. And so I just made a challenge that one weekend. I said, hey, we all came with shoes today. So I'm going to ask you to leave them here. And we're going to send them over. And just whatever shoes you brought today, just leave them on the stage as an offering to God. And we'll send them over. And I know that's going to be a problem if you're going to lunch or something. But deal with it. And just let's do this. And the tension we all felt, some of you were there because some people were like, yeah, I just bought these shoes. <laughs> like, I couldn't even afford them. I put them on credit and I bought them anyway. And now you want me to just, like, give them. And Chase Oakers did what Chase Okers do, and they did that. But we all felt that tension, which is what that was about. Like, like what do we do in a world like this? And, and that same weekend, we launched our global fund that funded an Ethiopia project that we ended last year. And the reason we ended it last year is because it became, as they're designed to, economically self-sustaining without us. So the project is going on. It's growing without us, but we were able to give a very significant kickstart to that as you gave Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars in our global fund. Uh, in fact, about $2 million. And and here's how that works. Uh, so we decided to do the global fund. So we have our general fund. So when you give to the offering that gets to our general fund that does you know, everything we do in our community and uh, our services and our environments and our campuses and kids and youth ministry and the whole deal. And, uh, and, and this was, we decided to do an above and beyond fund. And what I mean by that is above and beyond our regular giving, because the way Chase Oaks works, and I know a lot, not all of you are ready for that and that's fine, but the way Chase Oaks works is a lot of faithful people who say, um, Hey, I'm going to do what God challenges us as believers to do. And that is to to tithe, to give a percentage. I'd choose that between, it's between me and God, but I'm going to give percentage of my income and and we give it regularly. And that's our favorite part of the budget is what Christy and I give to Chase Oaks. And we do that. And that's a regular thing that we do. It's the first part of our budget, but this was, Hey, above it. And, and by the way, in that is some global outreach and we have missionaries and serving the poor in our general fund. But we decided to do above and beyond fund as well, to do even more, and to challenge people to say, hey, let's give above and beyond our regular giving and do something really big, and that's the global fund. And like I said, people really have responded to that over those years. And so now Ethiopia has happened, and in that fund, now we're looking, well, what's the next Ethiopia? Now, we have we do other things with that fund. In fact, just a couple months ago, we did a water well for a village in Tanzania, um, we have projects in Kenya, in Uganda, in Mexico, in Honduras. And yet we were looking for what's that next big Ethiopia-style project. And as we've been praying about it and, and working, looking at partners to come alongside locals that are already doing good stuff, that we can come alongside, where that's taken us is Egypt. And in June, uh, Christy and I, along with a couple, a couple of other people in our outreach area, went to Egypt and met some potential partners that we now have become Partners, And you'll hear much more about that. I just want to introduce you to that and, uh, and give you the opportunity to participate if you want to. And, uh, and I'll introduce you here in a minute. We're going to hear from a guy named Nathan, who is one of those key partners over there. They're doing amazing work, but it's really difficult to be them because it's a Muslim country officially. And because of that, it's really hard to not be Muslim uh, because in that environment, there's a lot of persecution and, and the persecution kind of ebbs and flows between them making life difficult for Christians to be being dangerous to be a Christian. It just kind of ebbs and flows between that. So everything they do and they stick their neck out to serve the poor, to do whatever is a big deal. But these guys are amazing in the way that they do that. In fact, you're about to hear from Nathan and some of the things they're doing, but his story is a great disruption story because Nathan um, grew up in Egypt and 30 years ago it was a really difficult time to be there. It was a very tumultuous time and just for anybody, no matter what your religion was. And certainly it was hard to be Christian. And he had the opportunity to get out, like to immigrate with his family. And they did. And they went to Vancouver, British Columbia, became Canadian citizens. He was a veterinarian. So he got a great job right away. So he had a great house. He had a great job. He had a great life, great education for his kids. I mean, he had it made. It was like the golden ticket. And every, everybody he knew in Egypt and all that was like, wow, it's so amazing that happened. It's so great. And yeah, it's so great. And it's so comfortable and it's so wonderful. But after about six months, he and his wife both realized that God, God just would not let them be comfortable there. Okay, yeah, we made it to Disneyland, but we just left our people in difficulty. And they decided to go give all that up and go back. And people thought they were crazy. How could you do that to your kids? How could you do that? And this is where God's calling us. And so they went back to Egypt and God did not make it easy. It's really difficult. But after decades now, they built up this amazing ministry where they're uh, helping churches get started. And, and they're helping uh, the poorest of the poor because these are churches that love does the unexpected. I mean, they do. And so I want you to hear from Nathan just so we get a flavor. You'll hear a lot more about it in the months ahead. But let's, uh, let's meet Nathan.
1: Uh, I started the ministry more than 30 years ago. Uh, at the beginning, my vision was training uh, pastors and leaders uh, to equip them more, to be more effective in the ministry. So we started this. Uh, we have a Bible school. We train young people to be a full-time pastors, to start new churches in many villages in the south of the country. Uh, also, we have teaching material for uh, children, uh, we have curriculum uh, for Sunday school uh, churches, uh, more than 400 churches using our curriculum. We have a teaching magazine. Uh, we have many, many teaching materials uh, spread all, all over the country. Also, we have ministry among poor people, among refugees. We have a training center. We train uh, young people to gain uh, skills so they can get some jobs. We have uh, a project to give loans, small loans for the people to start a small project. Also we have a school and we have 400 kids in our school and we try to raise up those kids in a Christian atmosphere and we express to them the love of God by uh, practical ways. Really cool project and
0: uh, yeah. Uh, we just, we're just we just sending over uh, right now out of our global fund a couple of hundred thousand dollars to, to get this partnership started. And it's because of your generosity. And, uh, and again, if you want to participate in the global fund, it's really easy to do. When you go on the giving part of our website, there'll be different funds, general fund, and then these other kind of above and beyond funds that are there. Uh, global fund is one of those. And I invite you to jump in. And just even one of those things that he talked about, he just mentioned briefly, small loans for small projects. It's actually a really big deal. And a big chunk of that money is going to make a, a really large revolving fund because they do small loans, micro loans over there better than anywhere else in the world we've experienced in terms of their results. And what's happening is it lifts up whole families out of poverty and, and just they apply for small loans that help them start businesses and they pay those back and get bigger loans. It expands and able to provide for their family out of poverty and, um, and not be poor anymore, begin to flourish and. Uh, and it just contrasts that with other ways to help, which are good, too. Like Christy and I, like child sponsorship, uh, Christy and I for years and will continue to. We have we sponsor kids through World Vision and we're glad to do that. And we think it's awesome. Um, but with this, what we were able to see is we heard their stories and we're there. Lifts the whole family out of poverty so that the mom and dad can send their kids to school and their mom and dad can sp- pay to, you know, feed their own kids and have the dignity of taking care of their own family. And it's just it's just really cool. So um, it's just an opportunity, right, to come alongside and to say, as a way to say, how can I live in this world? And, and how disrupted am I willing to be? And that's the village people question. But it's not the end of the story. In fact, you may be wondering, hey, what happened to that demoniac guy? In fact, just ask right now, what happened to that demoniac guy? Right now, just say, what happened to that demoniac guy? And I'm glad you asked. Because the story continues. As Jesus was getting into the boat to go back, The man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, these 10 Greek cities, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people there were amazed. It's really interesting part of the story because all three characters have a request for Jesus. So the demons have a request for Jesus. They ask to be sent into the pigs. Jesus says, yes. The village people have a request for Jesus. They say, we want you to leave. And Jesus says, yes, he leaves. The demoniac, former demoniac, has a question for Jesus, a request. And that is, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no. His is the only really good request. But he, say, he gets a denial. Why? Because think about it. I mean, it would have been a really good thing. If he had gone with Jesus, become one of the disciples, one of the people following Jesus, he might have become part of the story in the book of Acts and helping the churches get going. I mean, it would have been cool. He would have had a great future going back across the lake with Jesus. That was a good thing to want. But instead, Jesus says no. Why? Because he says, I want you to be right where I've already placed you. And I want you to go. ...in this whole region and tell everybody what the Lord has done for you, what God has done for you. I want them to know about me. And I want you to tell your story everywhere you go. And the people were amazed because of that. In other words, what he's saying is this is a dark place and without you it'll stay dark. I want to light this place up through you. I want to disrupt this place spiritually, this place of spiritual darkness. I want you to be disruptive here spiritually... But just by telling your story and being light. And that gets me to really the point of what we're talking about today. Same with you and me. Jesus wants to disrupt our lives. He wants something better for us. He wants to disrupt our lives so that we can be disruptive in this world. That's the way of life Jesus wants for us. He wants to disrupt our lives, change us, grow us, deliver us so that we can be disruptive in this world. What does that mean to be disruptive in this world? Well, just like what did that guy do? Tell your story. (laughs) I mean, all of us have people around us who don't know Jesus, whether it's at our school, in our neighborhood, on our sports teams, our kids' sports teams, our neighborhood, wherever we are, right? God has placed us there to be light, just to share our story. That's what Jesus has done for me. As we talked about last week, this is a place we design all of our environments, all of our campuses to be places where we can invite people. Hey, come check it out. Come sit with me. Just check it out. Another way to be disruptive is by displaying the love of God in practical ways, by coming alongside people in need. We talk about love does the unexpected. You know, hashtag love does the unexpected. Because that's what love does. Love does the unexpected. Love does things for people as we live with our eyes open everywhere we go and look for opportunities to serve, to do good, to lift people up, to encourage somebody. Say, Wait, why are you doing this for me? Well, that's how we roll because Jesus loved me that way and I'm just trying to pay it forward. And so let me encourage you. Let's, let's just keep doing love does the unexpected and live, whether it's just a school, neighborhood, work, wherever. Live looking for with your eyes open. God, help me be disruptive in a good way. Help me love somebody. Help me serve somebody. Help me lift up somebody. Encourage somebody to be disruptive because God, that's what God wants for us is something so much bigger than we'll get on our own. And yet you and I, we have a a lot to say about how disrupted and how disruptive we will be. And so let me just ask, have us ask ourselves two dangerous questions. One is, as you think about your life, how disrupted am I allowing my life to be? By Jesus? Am I embracing disruption? Now, for those of you, some of you are in a place where you, where you don't maybe know Jesus right now. You, you've never made that choice to say yes to God, understanding that God came here for us. That's Jesus who came and he died on the cross for our sins, not only so that we could be forgiven, but so that when we say yes to him, he wants to come into our life and begin to disrupt our life, to begin to remake our life, to remove all the things that hold us back from what he calls life. That is really life and and what it means to begin a relationship with Jesus is saying yes to him and saying, come into my life and disrupt me, change me and use me to be disruptive in this world. In a little bit, we're going to pray and we'll have the opportunity to do that. For those of you who know Jesus, you say, yeah, I am a Jesus follower. Well, how disrupted are you allowing him to be in your life? Because he'll give us a lot of freedom in terms of how much we embrace disruption and how much we resist it. How open or not open are we? Just how disrupted are you right now? How disrupted are you by the oppression of others? Which leads me to the next question. How disruptive am I allowing my life to be? Am I just living my life or am I living disruptively in this world? As I see needs, as I see issues, as I see opportunities, as I see people who don't know Jesus, as I see people in need, as I see, you know, how disruptive am I? A great question to ask is, I mean, how is my school? How is my work? How is my neighborhood? How is my community? How is this world different because I'm here on this planet or in this place, wherever God's placed me? How open are we to being disruptive? Because God wants to use us to be disruptive. Those are great and dangerous questions. And what we're going to do in a little bit is we're going to pray. And I'm going to invite the bands at all the campuses because after we pray, uh, we're going to continue that prayer in a song. And it's a song we've done the last two weeks. This was not planned. Um, We just it just happened Friday night. We didn't plan for this song to become kind of the theme of this series. But that's really what's happened because it is a surrender song. To say, God, I disrupt me. I open my life to you and we just want to be a church. We want to be individuals. We want to be families that you can move in and through. And, uh, and so we're going to do that all the campuses will sing. But first, I want us to take this to God and take these questions to God in prayer. So let's bow our heads together. And let me encourage you, just uh, prayer just talking to God in our own words. And first, just ask God the question, God, how disrupted am I really allowing you to be in my life? How disrupted am I by you? And how, how disruptive am I allowing you to be? And for some of you, it might be your opportunity. You may be ready for this to say, God, I, I want to begin a relationship with you. You made that possible by sending Jesus who died on the cross for my sins so that the guilt of my sin could be removed There's no barrier between you and me anymore. And and you want to come into my life and change me and begin to disrupt my life. And I say, yes. That's what it means to begin a relationship with Jesus. And then for those who know Jesus, ask him the same question. God, how disruptive am I allowing you to be? By the spiritual darkness around me, by the needs around me in this world, in my neighborhood, wherever and then just ask God to say, God, I, want to, I don't want to be disruptive. I do want to be disruptive. So, God, just give me one thing. Even this week I can do one thing that can be disruptive in a good way. That could lift somebody, have the potential to lift somebody out of difficulty or out of discouragement or out of spiritual blindness or whatever it is. God, use me. And Father, I thank you that you want to disrupt our lives because what you have for us is so much better. And I thank you that you want to use us to make this world better. And so help us be disruptive. And we surrender to you. And ask that you would do in our church, in our lives, whatever you want to, because we're yours. In Jesus' name, amen.